Well, today we want to start uh, this series we're calling Forgive and Forget, and we want to talk about forgiveness. And I got to warn you right off the top, um, I think this is going to be really challenging for a lot of us. I think forgiveness, when we really think about it, is something that's really difficult, but also extremely powerful. I think it's something uh, that can transform the way that we live, the way that we treat each other, and bring healing to our relationships. But it is tricky. It is uh, not easy. It's something that often offends our pride. It is something that um, is emotional for many of us. C.S. Lewis, uh, he he said something like, everybody likes the idea of forgiveness until you have something to forgive. And so when we talk about maybe small slights or or little things, we go, oh, forgiveness is good. Of course, we should forgive. That's natural, whatever. But when there's things, there's bigger things in our lives, when there's real rifts in our relationships, when there are people who have offended us really deeply or done things to us that have been very costly to us, then all of a sudden, forgiveness doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just. It doesn't seem right sometimes. And it certainly is difficult. But I want to talk about this because so much of our faith, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus or investigating what it looks like to follow Jesus, is based on God's character and God's loving character, gracious character, forgiving character as he welcomes us always back to him even when we have offended him, turned on him, walked away from him. So a couple of weeks ago uh, on Instagram, I just put it out there and I asked uh, anybody to to respond and ask what your biggest questions or challenges are when it comes to forgiveness. And thank you for those of you who responded uh, and put in some questions. I want to share with you some of those questions because uh, probably this isn't a surprise, but there was a whole bunch of questions and uh, really they all sort of fit in different categories, but there's probably just maybe three categories that almost every question could somewhere fit in. And those are ones that over the next three weeks, including today, uh, I want to talk about. Hopefully we can uh, at least try to answer some of those questions and talk about some uh, steps forward. Uh, But these are the questions that many of you brought and, and shared with us. Should we forgive and forget. And that is the, the uh, topic of our, our series and what we've titled it. Should we really forgive and forget? And what are we forgiving? Are we forgiving a person? Are we forgiving an action? What does it mean to forgive? What is forgiveness? What's the definition of forgiveness? Should we actually forget if somebody has hurt us? Say, I forgive you and then try to forget. Could you actually forget the hurt that people have done to you, even if you wanted? How could you forget the hurt that people have caused us? That's kind of the the first category. Should we really forgive and forget? What is forgiveness anyway? The second one is something like this. Does forgiveness empower abuse and bad behavior? If I forgive somebody, does that mean I'm just letting them continue to, to do something that's harmful to me or to other people? Is it good to forgive Can you have forgiveness without reconciliation? Can you have reconciliation without forgiveness? Should you be able to have either of those things? Do they have to go together? What do you do when someone has hurt you in the past, but they continue with the same actions? They don't change. How do you deal with your ongoing feelings of hurt? Should you forgive instantly, or should you try and take some time to forgive? Do things just go back to the way that they were after you forgive somebody? These are such good questions. How do you forgive those that don't recognize that they've done something wrong to you? How do you forgive when the other person doesn't ask to be forgiven? How do do you forgive somebody that you might not even have access to? Maybe somebody's hurt you and you don't even have a direct relationship with them. Or maybe they're not around anymore. Maybe they're very distant. Maybe they are gone. How do you resolve that? In other words, why should I forgive someone at all, especially if they aren't sorry? I will say this, to forgive and forget, 
I don't think is possible. I don't think we should even try to forget what people have done to us. Now, I know, and if you're kind of a Bible person, there are some verses where you go, wait, 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 wait. There are verses in the Bible that seem very much to say we should forgive and forget. One of them is in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12, and it's actually a quote from an older passage in Jeremiah 31. So originally, it's God speaking to the Israelites, and then in, in the book of Hebrews, uh, it's, it's kind of repurposed towards uh, Jesus' followers. But it's God, and he says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Does God not even model for us? Hey, I'm going to forgive you and I am going to forget. Isn't that what it says? I will remember your sins no more. In 1 Corinthians, there's another passage talking about love and it says love keeps no records of wrong. So shouldn't we just say if something's wrong has happened, we forgive and, and that's it. We forget about it and go on. Except that I think that most of you would agree especially when it's something deep and significant. Maybe not those kind of surface little hurts that, that we do easily forget. But when somebody's really hurt you, when somebody's, when somebody's really taken something from you, even if you wanted to, to try and cognitively just forget like something like that, you would say, oh, maybe I wish I could, but I can't. I think part of what we need to understand here, and we're going to work this out all through the next three weeks, so hang on, follow me. Um, what we have here is a Hebrew idiom, which is kind of a, a saying, um, and it, I don't think means that God goes, oh, I just forgot. Like you say, oh, you know, pray, God, oh, I, I'm sorry, I lost my temper again. Please forgive me. And God goes, again? What do you mean? Oh, well, last week. Oh, I totally forgot. I, I don't think that's what we're supposed to get. But what we're supposed to understand is that when God says, uh, I will remember your sins no more, what he's saying is, I am not going to pay you back. I am not going to treat you the way that your sins deserve. It is not just kind of this cognitive, I'll actually forget. But instead, I am not going to treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. So forgiveness in the Bible literally means uh, to let go of, and specifically, it's often to let go of a debt, so if somebody owes you something and you forgive that debt, you say, you don't need to pay me back anymore. It's to release somebody from having to pay back what they owe. Maybe because they can't pay it back, but because you release them from that obligation. And so this is what we want to talk about. And there are so many questions and so many nuances about forgiveness. So please be patient as we work through. We can't do it all in one week. But we want to talk about what does it look like in a healthy way, spiritually and emotionally uh, and practically, to forgive even if we can't forget. Because there's a lot of realities that make forgiveness difficult and complicated. Like here's one, you can't control anybody else. And so you might say, we have this, this relationship and it's been broken and somebody did something or maybe each of us have done something to each other to hurt each other and to break that relationship and you might want to repair it and you might want to forgive and you might want to move on, but you cannot control someone else. You might say, they, they need to recognize what they've done to me and how they've hurt me and make it better and they might never recognize that. You can't control somebody else. Things don't always go back to the way that they were. You might say, if we forget, then there are things just going to, we're just like, you know, if last week there was this, this hurt, then we're going to go back and it'll just be like it was two weeks. And then uh, some of us, we might even say, I forgive you and, move, and then go, but there's still something not right here. It hasn't gone back the same. The relationship isn't the same. How about this? Forgiveness doesn't always feel good. It just doesn't. And I know sometimes we say, for my own sake, I need to forgive somebody and that's going to heal me. And I think that that's true and that's part of it. But sometimes that takes a really long time. 
And sometimes those feelings and that pain lingers and doesn't always just say, wow, I forgave somebody and now I feel good. That makes it more complicated, more difficult. We're going to talk about this. Forgiveness and reconciliation, I think, can be part of the same process, but they're not the same thing. We have to be careful we don't shortchange the bigger process in forgiveness. So here's a couple of ways that I think uh, sometimes we approach when someone has done something wrong to us, somebody has hurt us, or we have hurt somebody else, uh, and I'm going to talk about kind of two different approaches that I don't think work really well, and then for the next three weeks, we're going to approach trying to figure out a better way forward. So here's the first one, dealing with wrongdoing. Some of us, our motivation is to keep the status quo. Some of us are naturally not confrontational person. People, I think this is a lot of us. We don't want to rock the boat too much. We don't want to have a huge fight. We want things to stay the same that they were. Something's happened, but really, we don't want a lot to change. We don't want to have to get into it. We don't have to go through all the pain of, of, of dredging things up and working through it. We just, we just kind of want things to go back to the way that they were, even if there was some hurt. And so when it comes to consequences, sometimes we just say, there's no consequences. I'm forgiving you, so don't worry about it. Sometimes the actions are excused, right? Instead of dealing with them, we say things like, oh, she was having a bad day, or he didn't really mean that, or they're really a good person, and that's not them, and we kind of excuse away, oh, well, I said something to them, and that's why they did something mean to me. Um, and, And instead of actually dealing with something, we sort of excuse behavior, bad behavior sometimes. We don't get into consequences. Sometimes I think uh, we convince ourselves that that's forgiveness. There's no consequences. We just have to move on. And so our goal in this kind of frame of mind is just to keep the peace. We just want to keep the peace. Second way of going about things comes from the other side of the spectrum. Again, some of us are naturally wired this way. Our motivation is more about revenge. Some of us, we actually like to charge head on at somebody that's hurt us. You hurt me, I want to hurt you. You did this to me, you deserve to be hurt in return. The consequences are often harsh, and come off as condemning. There's this condemnation. You deserve to hurt. You deserve pain. You deserve to feel what I felt, or sometimes worse. And our goal is often retribution. I want to pay you back. You've hurt me, so I am going to hurt you. Now, sometimes, whereas in the first column, we might justify this and say, hey, we're just being loving, forgiving people. Don't worry about it. We're moving on, even though we're not dealing with things. In the second column, we might frame this as, I just want justice. I want to seek justice. I want to make things right. We can't just let something go. We can't just excuse something. We can't just ignore it. And yet there is this very fine line that I think is so easy to go over where justice becomes revenge. Justice becomes, how can I hurt you the way that you hurt me? To express these feelings sometimes in a very unhealthy way and to start a cycle that goes around and around. So our first column might say, we never really get to the heart of the issue and behavior might never change. And in the second column, we might say, we're just perpetuating a cycle of hurt and revenge that doesn't allow us to move forward. I think, culturally, we can look at these two things. So this operates in all different facets of our lives, facets in your personal relationships, your marriage, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, all of these kinds of things. I think culturally, we also have some loud voices that tell us both of these ways. That, you know, you know there's, um, hey, live and let live. I can't tell you what's right or wrong. You do whatever you want to do. You be you, and you do you, and I'll do me. And we sort of have this idea that I think 
the more experience we have in life, we realize doesn't work, is we kind of think that we are so individualistic that I can do whatever I want to do and it doesn't affect other people. But the longer we go in life, we realize that inevitably my actions affect you, yours affect me. We are all in this together in humanity. And uh, we, we could say, hey, you just do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do. Nobody can tell anybody what's right or wrong, except that we come to a place where we realize that's just not tenable. We come to a place where we realize we hurt each other, where uh, we can't just ignore the fact that there are these problems, there are these relationship breakups. And if all we do is say, well, you just do what you want to do, then we have no way forward. The other side of the spectrum comes, and there's this moral outrage. And if you ever cross the certain moral lines that, that certain people have, have laid out, then there's, there's no return. It's this, this revenge, this condemnation. And sometimes in the name, I think, of justice to say, uh, you just need to be paid for your transgressions, but there's no way to come back. There's no way to, to be restored. It's just, you know, we're going we're gonna to cancel you. We're going to break the relationship. We're going to, um, you know, put you out to pasture and, and uh, leave you there. And so in this challenge, I think what we need to realize is that neither of those approach work really well. There must be a better way. And if you want meaningful relationships, if you want deep, good relationships, if you want to stay married and have a good, strong marriage, if you want to have a relationship with your kids as they grow up and as they're, they're adults, if you want to have good, deep friendships that last a long time and where you actually share your life together in really good, beautiful, but deep ways, even if you want to have good relationship with your coworkers, we are going to have to find a way to forgive one another. We're going to have to find a way to come back when we've hurt each other because it's part of all of our experience. So I want to read a parable to you from Luke chapter 15, and today just take the first step in how we might approach forgiveness, even if we can't forget. This is a famous parable. It's called the prodigal, uh, oftentimes it's called the parable of the prodigal son. If you think it's the parable of the prodigal son, one son, you're going to miss half the story, and so uh, I hope you'll stick with us as we move through it uh, and find just a really important truth about God's orientation towards us. Here it goes. Luke 15, verse 11. It's Jesus has been teaching, and he's been teaching uh, about those who are lost, things that are lost and then are found. And he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So, like I just said, if you just talk about the prodigal son, which we'll get into in a second, you're going to miss the fact that right from the beginning it says there are two sons and we need to investigate both of them. The younger tells his father, I want my share of the inheritance before you die. When, especially in this culture, although I think it's true in our culture, if you went to your parents and you said, I want my inheritance now and they're still living. This is a huge insult. This is saying, I don't want you, I don't want relationship with you as much as I want your stuff. I want my inheritance. I want to be able to do what I want. I want what maybe I think I'm owed, even though an inheritance is not something you work for, it's something that you're given. And so we, right, right from the beginning, there's two sons and the younger son is so offensive. He's basically saying, dad, I wish you were dead and I want to get out of here. Now, in this culture, most people, even if they were wealthy, didn't just have a whole bunch of money in the bank. 
Their money was usually tied up in their property. They were often farmers. And so it was, I have my land, uh, I have my animals, I have my crops. Uh, In order to give the son his inheritance, that would have to be liquidated. He would have to sever part of his property, sell off a lot to be able to give his son his inheritance, which apparently he does. You can imagine the father's emotion. Just imagine being insulted like that and then selling part of your property and then watching your son go. Verse 13, it says, A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave, gave him anything. So he goes out, he has a fun time spends his money on whatever he wants to spend it on, wild living. We don't know exactly what that is. And then he's hungry. The famine comes in. He ends up going to a farmer to try and just, I just need a job. And it is the lowest of the low. He sends him to feed the pigs. Just remember, in the first century, a predominantly Jewish audience, pigs were unclean. You don't eat pork. You don't touch pigs. This is like the lowest of the low. Pigs were a symbol, essentially saying, we are different. We are not kind of the bottom feeders. There was a bunch of other animals and stuff like that. We don't eat them. It was sort of this symbolic thing of purity uh, and and being different and not just kind of going to the lowest common denominator. This guy has now hit rock bottom. He's serving the pigs, the unclean pigs. Everything has gone wrong. He's morally bankrupt. He's ritually unclean. He's religiously outcast in that society. This is low. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, he hits rock bottom, but he finally comes to his senses. And he says, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. So it comes up with a plan. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he, he said, okay, my father still a wealthy man. He's got everything that he needs and that I need. Man, I made a mistake. I've gone away from him. I need to go back. He starts rehearsing his speech, but do you get his plan? He doesn't say, I'm going to go back and I'm going to try and remind my dad that I'm his son and maybe he'll take me in because, no, 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 I'm not worthy of that. I'm going to try and be a hired worker. I'm just going to try and earn my way back onto the property. I'm going to try and earn my way to be fed. I'm going to try and earn my way to get the basics of life because I'm just, you know, I've left the family, but maybe he'll take me because even the hired workers on my father's land and my father's property are eating. They're better off than me. And so he's got his speech and he's rehearsing it. You can imagine he's on his way home and, you know, he's got the speech running through. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be calling your son. Please take me on a hired servant. I don't deserve this but maybe I can earn it. And then this wonderful hinge verse in verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Like his father was waiting and looking for him. Like maybe his father thought, I don't know if he's ever going to come back, but I got to go check. I got to go look. I got to go look down the laneway. And maybe one day my son is going to come back. And while he's still far off, his father sees him. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. 
he ran to his son. In the first century Jewish culture, men, especially of a certain age, do not run. It was shameful. This is a patriarch of a family. He is the leader. He is a big deal. He does not run anywhere, but filled with love and compassion, he sees his son a long way off, still a far way off, and he runs to him. He breaks social protocol. He doesn't care what it looks like. He runs to him, embraced him, kissed him, and his son said to him, because he's got his speech going, and he's going to beg, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But this father, compassion means to be moved inwardly with love. His insides are causing him to act this way. His father says to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and he has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So the party begins. He welcomes him in. He throws a party. He skips the speech about how you have to earn your way back in. No, this is my son. We are throwing a party. He is back. He was lost and now he is found. This beautiful, beautiful way of God looking far off to the one who is offended, the one who is, 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 is just completely off track, and he runs toward him, filled with love and compassion, embraces, kisses, and throws a huge party. Isn't that so beautiful? So not fair. He doesn't say, you got to earn it. He doesn't say, yeah, I'll hire you back. Hey, I'll put you on probation. Hey, you can start with some of the lower jobs and you can work your way for meals and stuff like that. And maybe we'll talk about the rest later. It is this just extremely generous love. He runs out to him and he throws a party. My wife and I were just at a party for a friend, a really good friend, a milestone birthday for her. And uh, her husband, um, he just, he did it right milestone birthday. She wanted to have her friends and do a big thing. He got a really nice, uh, booked a, a room in a really nice restaurant. There was amazing food. There was dancing. Everybody was laughing. Everybody was having a good time. Uh, we walked away from the party and we went, man, that's what a party is supposed to be like. Like he did such a good job. He just went all out to give her what she wanted. But at the party, at one point, she stood up and gave a little bit of a birthday speech. And she did this whole thing. She looked around the room. There's probably 25 of us there. And she said, uh, all of you in this room, you just need to know you're my people. If you're sitting here, you are my people. That's why you have been invited here. And this is a big moment, not just because it's my birthday, but you're the people that I want to journey with through the next phase of my life. You're the people that I want to be there for. You're the people I want my kids around. You're the people uh, that I want to celebrate with. You're the people that I'm going to call where there's a problem. And she had this nice, beautiful thing and all the rest of it. And in that moment, you just realized all the food and all the dancing and the nice restaurant and all the celebration, what it all is about is relationship. It's all about the people who are in the room. And that's why you get the food, and that's why you dance, and that's why you laugh, and that's why you have fun. And this is what this is about. The father is celebrating the relationship. That my son has come home. So what? We're going to eat together, and we're going to dance together, and we're going to sing together. Oh, this is so, so good. My son who is lost is now found. He doesn't become a worker. He can't earn his way back into the family. He might have thought so. This is his gracious father welcoming him back. It's his gracious father forgiving him and being reconciled. Meanwhile, verse 25, the older son was in the fields working. Prodigal son goes crazy, wild living, is welcomed back in forgiveness. Here's the older son. 
who was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, can't even say brother, can't even say my brother, son of yours, comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, that was not in the story. Is he exaggerating? I don't know. We tend to do that, don't we? Somebody has hurt us. I don't know. Maybe he's right. We don't know. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, this is, get this. Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. We had to celebrate. See what's happening here? The father shows his gracious, forgiving nature to bring in his son. You're my son. I want reconciliation. I will forgive you. I will bring you back wherever you've been from, wherever you've gone. And here's the older brother saying, yeah, but that's not fair. That's not justice. I've been here working the whole time. He's out there doing who know what. He squandered a a huge portion of, of not just your stuff, but my inheritance. In this culture, if you had two sons, the older son always got a double portion there was an inheritance, which means the older son was entitled to two-thirds of the property, two-thirds of the stuff, two-thirds of the wealth, which means when the younger son got his third, dad sells off part of it, gives you a third of of all that he owns, you go off and squander it. Well, guess what? Two-thirds is less than it used to be. The older son has been wronged. Something that he thought he was getting is now gone. There's less in the pot for my inheritance, for what I'm going to get, for what I had coming. This is not fair, and I have been working, and I have been earning And the father says to him, very similarly to what he said to his brother, Dear son, you're my son. And I know you've stayed with me, but get this phrase, everything I have is yours. It's all a gift. This is powerful for us to get. Everything's a gift. All of life is a gift. Every breath that we take, everything that we have, every relationship that we get to be part of, it's all a gift. Father says, everything I have is yours. Yeah, but what about this? Don't you understand? Just look around, my son. You're part of the family. Everything I have is yours. This is all a beautiful gift. But we had to celebrate. We had to get music going. We had to have a big party. We had to eat together. Because your brother who is lost is now found. He was dead and he's come back to life. You see, the younger brother needs to be forgiven for his rebellious living, but the older brother needs to be forgiven from his self-righteous attitude. They both thought that they needed to earn their father's love and didn't realize that they could only accept his grace. And when they strayed, it was only forgiveness that would bring them back. Some of us, we really identify with the younger brother. We've had our, our, our wild times. We've had our rebellious times. We've wanted to do our own thing, and nobody can tell us what to do. There's a whole bunch of us who identify more with the older brother. We're pretty religious. We try really hard to follow the rules. And we sort of, somewhere deep down, believe that we deserve certain things, that we're owed certain things, maybe even that God should give us 
certain things. We sometimes look at other people and we're judgmental and we think they need to earn their way back. They've done things that are too wrong and then in some ways they've got to do all the the begging and, and making it right. But here's the father when his son was far off who runs out. The heartbreaking cliffhanger of this parable, because it just ends and we don't know what happens to the older brother. We don't know if he enters the party or not. We don't know if he hears his father and goes, yes, yes, it's all about the relationship. It's all about the restoration. He's back. Let's go party. Or if he stays out there. It's a good question. Will the older brother join the party? Go a step further. Will we? Will we join God's gracious party? Will we change the way that we think that includes uh, a deep forgiveness that allows people to come back and to move forward, that runs towards people instead of holding them out, holding them back, not welcoming them in? Will we celebrate when lost people are found? Will we live in forgiveness or will we hang on to our own idea of justice? talk more about justice. Justice is important. We'll talk more about that next week. But forgiveness isn't about forgetting what people have done to us, but remembering what God has done for us. Listen, I don't think at a certain level it's possible to forget certain things that people have done to hurt us, even if we wanted to. I just don't think we can get there. I don't think it's what some of those scriptures actually mean to mentally forget something. But here's where I think we have to start. Not trying to forget what people have done to us, but to always be reminded of what God has done for us. That we are forgiven. That we are welcomed back in. That there's a party of relationship for us that we get to be part of. That God sees us even when we're far off and runs towards us and embraces us and kisses us and throws us a party. Because when that settles in, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, when that becomes the way that we see how God is, when it becomes the way we see the world, it changes the way that we see each other and the way that we treat each other, it might, it might over time move us from a place where we say, I could never forgive this to realizing that forgiveness is the way forward. So where the motivation for the status quo and excusing uh, wrongdoing and just keeping the peace might never actually deal with our issues... We're seeking revenge and condemnation and retribution might be harsh and never let us move forward. We see that the Father and our Heavenly Father starts with love. His motivation is to love us. We're going to fill out over the next couple of weeks the rest of this little chart, talk about what does that mean for the consequences? Are there consequences for our actions even if we forgive someone? What if someone doesn't change their actions? What if they continue to hurt us? And what is the goal? What does it look like for us to come back together in relationship. Is that possible? How do we do that in a healthy way? So stick with us. Uh, come next week and make sure uh, that you're part of this as we talk about those because they're, they're so powerful and I think um, I think it'll be so beneficial for our relationships on, on every level. A couple of things I want to offer you today. Um, I'm not giving you any steps today. Here's what you should do. Uh, I just want to offer you to receive. All three weeks, today and the next two weeks, uh, we're going to offer you communion uh, during the services. And uh, I, what I'm hoping is over this time, over and over, we're reminded of how God treats us, what God has done for us in Jesus to forgive us. 
And so in the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping we'll get really practical and we'll talk about some ways that we can move forward if you have broken relationships, if someone's hurt you, if you've hurt someone. Today, I'm hoping we can just steep ourselves, and we're going to do this all three weeks, in the forgiveness of God. Be reminded over and over and over because we need to put it before our, our minds and our hearts continually that God loved us so much that even when we were far off, he ran towards us. He gave us his son Jesus to give his body and to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. So today, um, maybe you've heard something and uh, maybe today you feel guilty. Maybe there's something that's just arisen where you know you've hurt someone else. And over the next few minutes, we're going to sing a song, but I'm just going to invite you. If you need to sit there for a while, that's fine. Maybe there's some things that you need to take to God to ask forgiveness for, just to be open with him, to know that he wants to forgive you. Maybe that's the first step hopefully of other steps of of approaching others that we have hurt. And maybe uh, you feel hurt today. Maybe you're just reminded of something or some things that people have done that have really hurt you. And it's hard for you to grasp that they should be forgiven in any way. And maybe you don't know what that looks like. Today, could we just start? um, There are these um, little wafer and a cup in the chairs in front of you. You can grab it and hold it even now. I just love when we take these things. They're so practical and real. I love that you can hold it in your hand because it's so tangible. And sometimes things like forgiveness seem so ethereal. But as you hold it in the hands and Jesus said, this is my body and this is my blood, you go, just as real as I hold this, that's how real the love and forgiveness of God is. And so I'm just going to, we're going to sing a song. You don't have to take this right now. When you're ready, Um, Maybe you just want to let some of the words of the song sink in. Maybe you want to pray and confess. Maybe you want to pray and ask that God would be changing your heart towards someone. Maybe there's names of people that are coming up in your mind even now. um, And and you know that there needs to be some reparation in those relationships. And it could be complicated and it might not happen right away. But what if we just started by receiving and knowing that whether we feel more like the prodigal son who's totally rebelled, or more like the religious older son who is slaved away, that God wants to throw a party of relationship to invite us into the feast where there's music and dancing and relationship. And when you're ready during this song, um, feel free to take uh, the first tab off. And there's a wafer there that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, given for us. And then the next tab to drink uh, the juice, which is representative of the the blood shed by Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That's what Jesus, or Paul talks about what Jesus said uh, when he did that for his disciples. He said, Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what God has done for you. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Hopefully today, whatever you're struggling with, whatever your challenge is, to be reminded that forgiveness isn't about forgetting what people have done to us, but remembering what God has done for us. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gracious nature. Today, uh, I pray for those who even right now are thinking of people in situations that are rising up in their heart and their minds, maybe for people who are very emotional, people who've been hurt or have hurt others. We just want to acknowledge how difficult that is and and what kind of process it might take for reconciliation. But today, we pray that you would help us to remember well 
the forgiveness of our sins. Remember well that you sent your son because you have loved us so much, that you want relationship with us, that you are forgiving and gracious. And as perhaps we start the process of repairing some relationships and pursuing some reconciliation today, may we be filled with your Holy Spirit, with your grace, with your love and your forgiveness. We thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus. It's in his name we pray.